0: As we are continuing our look at the question, why are we here? Why do we exist as a church? What is our purpose? What is our need? What is our goal? And we are still looking at the area of discipleship. And as we go into discipleship, for those of you who are history buffs, know this guy well. For those of you not, let me introduce you to one Daniel Webster. Uh, Daniel Webster was a rather amazing man. He's noted as being one of the greatest speakers in American history. He was a famous attorney, a member of the United States House of Representatives, and then the U.S. Senate. He served as Secretary of State for three different presidents. What you may not know is Webster was a very fervent Christian, a member of the Congregational Church, who was committed to the truths of his faith. He once made a statement This is really a big thank you to his parents. He said, if there be anything in my style or thoughts to be commended, the credit is due to my kind parents for instilling into my mind an early love for the scriptures. From the time that at my mother's feet or my father's knee, I learned to lisp verses of sacred writings. They have been my daily study. The older I grow, the more I read the Holy Scriptures, the more reverence I have for them, and the more I'm convinced that they're not only the best guide for the conduct of this life, but the foundation of all hope, respecting the future state. It's a beautiful declaration about what the Word of God is. And today we're going to look at a very special part of the Word of God. You probably already know that Psalm 119 is... The longest psalm in the book of Psalms is more than double the length of the closest runner-up. It is noted as being the longest chapter in the Word of God, uh, and it is a beautiful. It's a very beautiful, amazing arrangement. Uh, this was not something somebody sat down with a, a a stylus and a parchment and wrote in five minutes. This is one of the most artistic craftings. Within the word of God, it shows the man's heart for the love of God's word and a desire to make it memorable. And he decides to do that by using an acrostic. Now, many of you will know what an acrostic is, but a, a simple dex, uh, definition, it's whenever the first letter of every line of a text spells out a specific word or even the alphabet. Uh, The difference between that and an acronym, an acronym makes up words. These are real words. For instance, the wonderful word gospel. In terms of an acrostic that would help us remember the heart of what the gospel is, we could say that it's God's only son paid for eternal life. Now, there's clearly much you can flesh out in that, but this is the gospel. And those words together form out the first letter of each word, what they're describing. But it can be an alphabetical acrostic, simply going down the ABCs. And suppose you're you're a homeschooler or you're a teacher or you're somebody who's just, you know, you want to help a kid to understand. There are a lot of different things you can do in this world with your life. You could be an athlete, a baker, a clerk, a driver, an engineer, a fireman. So an alphabetical. Now, our psalm is an alphabetical acrostic. It is made up of eight lines of verse in what is called a strophe. A paragraph may be more familiar to you. But the very first word in each strophe is a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if you have a Bible that you open up to the book of... Uh, Psalms, Psalm 119, you will see every strophe has before, some of them, now not all English Bibles do, but most of them have these strange words, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, He, Vav. Now, if you take time, if you have an interest to do that, get your Bible, and you can learn the Hebrew alphabet, because that's exactly what these are. Now, why would the psalmist do this? Why would he write a, a message alphabetically? Well, for the artistry of it, for the beauty of it, the, the the wonder of it, maybe to help memorize and understand its meaning. But this man's heart was into this. This is the most prominent feature of some uh, prominent feature of Psalm one nineteen, apart from its theme. And the entire psalm, the entire psalm, is about the amazing, incredible Word of God. So today, we're going to take a look at Psalm 119, 9 through 16, the bait strophe. Some of these verses, some of you have memorized. But let's take a look at what this has to say. So I ask you to stand with me as we look at this incredibly beautiful psalm. How can a young person stay on the path to purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, in this strophe and in every other one, The psalmist has one major theme, the incredible word of God. Now, there's another feature of this as it focuses on the word, that in this text, in Psalm 119, there are a lot of different words for the word law. In our text alone, you have law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, word, and word again, but... Other translations use the word promise. Now, I'm not going to spend a great deal, I'm not going to spend really any time today dissecting all the differences between these phrases, these words. Primarily because I believe, as many others, when the psalmist uses all of these different terms, he's not just thinking about the five books of Moses, the Torah, the Pentateuch. I believe as we look at this, we come to understand this is a beautiful picture of all of God's revelation within his word. And the psalmist is extolling it. He's talking about it in such a powerful, meaningful way. And in this text, the psalmist declared that the path to godly living would be found in the diligent keeping of God's word. Now, for 12 years, you have heard me say a lot about the Word of God. And today, I want you to understand, this text helps us to see that the Word of God can quite literally change the direction of our lives. It can move us from what we are to what we can be. Move us from what we are to what we should be. And I don't believe that's an exaggeration. The Word of God has power To change the human heart. We saw that in some of the the words that we read in our responsive reading. But how? Well, our psalmist reveals in this text several results that will happen when we follow the word of God. Results in our lives that will bring us to the place we ought to be. And I encourage you sometime this week, read the entire psalm. It's such a beautiful passage of scripture. But let's focus on 9 through 16 today, and we're going to take a look. And the very first thing that we see in our text is that the Word of God can bring power in the time of temptation. Power in the time of temptation. I would ask for a show of hands of people who battle temptation in their lives each week, but there wouldn't be much point with there? Because every one of us would have our hands up. And those who didn't need to repent. It's a real thing in our lives, this thing called temptation. And the psalmist here affirmed that the word of the Lord could provide, uh, like the NIV's translation, a pathway to purity. Now, we don't know who wrote this psalm, but he clearly loved the Lord and he clearly loved the Word and he uses a statement that is important for us to see. Now, this was not a theoretical struggle. I'm fully aware that people think some of the things I say, I say just because I'm a preacher, because that's preacher talk and we have to say those things. But the psalmist isn't making up a problem. Did you hear what he said? When he declared... Let me not wander from your commandments. Would somebody who is following God 100% of the time ever make that statement? No, the fact that he's praying to God, help me to keep from straying from your word, indicates that there is a possibility. In fact, in verse 176 of this text, he actually says, I have gone astray like a sheep's lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. So here's a man who has said, There have been times I fought the battle and I lost. There have been times I, I should have listened to your word and I didn't. So help me, Lord. Help me to follow your word. Now, how's he going to escape this dilemma? How is he going to find the pathway to purity and do what God wants him to do? Well, he must choose the path. And the theme of a correct way or path for life is found throughout the Word of God, but very commonly in books of the Jewish wisdom literature, particularly in the book of Proverbs. And according to this concept, in in Proverbs, the first nine chapters, are pictured as a father telling his son, this is the way to live your life. One of the things that is said here, young people, and don't think, okay, that lets me off the hook. I'm no longer young. Well, if you were to ask Methuselah, he might disagree. All people must select, and the word of God makes it clear, there are two pathways. Two paths you can choose to walk. The walk of godliness. The walk that says, as the psalmist did, I want to follow your path. And the alternative is a path of wickedness and folly. And the psalmist said, I've made my choice. I'm going to guard my heart by your words. Now, the word guard simply means to watch. It is the second most common Hebrew word for the idea of obeying found in the Old Testament. So to guard or to watch is to say, "I'm going to follow what you command. I'm going to observe it." And then he said, "I'm going to store it up in my heart." The verb translated "hidden" in the NIV, "store" in ESV, and "treasured" in the New American Standard all means to hold some. They all mean something to hold something in very high regard, and it technically means exactly what these Awana people do with these Awana kids? Memorize. Memorize the scripture. Come to know it. You memorize so it will be kept deeply within your heart. So if you find yourself in that moment of temptation and your Bible isn't handy, with the word hidden in your heart, it's always handy. And you find strength. But it's more than just memorization. I will ask for a show of hands here. Anybody ever memorized something in school so you could pass a test and then as quickly as the test went away you forgot it? Yeah, <laughs> the night before the test? Not a good to forget it then. Uh, the reality is we are to memorize with the purpose of following. Let it become part of our daily lives. This is beautifully pictured in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall, uh, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall walk, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And he goes on to say, you'll bind it on your, like it's on your hand and in the front of your eyes. You are going to come and know these words, these laws. And everything you do should be touched by the word. And so the psalmist says, your word has penetrated my heart. At the depths of his very being, he has opened himself to the word of God. And he says, that's the way. I'm going to start having victory in this battle. In this temptation world, I begin to have victory by hiding your word. And people, as the word of God is internalized, it begins to change our hearts. When it's not just something we break out every once in a while, but we read it, we study it, we memorize it, we let it into our lives, it begins to change us. How? Well, first of all, it convicts convicts us of things that are apart from God's will. And I personally believe that's one of the reasons the Bible is not read, even by a lot of Christians. It may be one of the best-selling books in all of the world, but it clearly is not one of the best-studied. Because even among the body of faith in America, there's a great deal of biblical illiteracy. But I think we avoid it because we know if I read it, it's going to convict me. It's going to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong. It's going to tell me that I need to get my heart right with God. And Paul knew this. In the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, Paul is very honest. Verse 7 What should we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would have not known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. Apparently, Paul must have had a problem with coveting. Maybe there's part of him that was a little bit jealous of those preachers who were fantastic orators. He says, the word of God let me know that. Well, the word shows us what's wrong, but then it can show us the escape route. I share with you so many times, I I have no idea how many. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. There is always an escape hatch. We just don't look for it. And the best escape hatch that I know of is the word of God. And we see this play out in our Lord's life. When he's in the wilderness being tempted three different times by Satan, three different times he answers, It is written. He didn't tell Satan, I'm the son of God, get out of here. It is written, he turned to the word of God. And that was the way he battled temptation. And the word of God, the scripture can also give us a desire to become holy. This is what the psalmist said. God's word was drawing him to follow God. So you and I, we must open our hearts up to the cleansing of power of God's word. So when you open its pages to read, ask the spirit of God to move, to give you clear understanding of what it means. When you're reading and it confronts you about your sin, don't try to rationalize it away. Don't try to make excuses. Don't try to come up with all the reasons this text doesn't apply to me. When you're weak, Turn to the Word so it can give you the strength you need. And when that begins to happen, when you and I start having more and more victory in our lives, the result of the Word of God, the next result becomes so much crystally clear. The Word of God can bring joy into our existence. The thing we call the Bible can give us joy. And the psalmist clearly understood. You cannot read Psalm 119 without realizing the psalmist's heart was bursting with exhilaration because of God's Word. He was excited about the Word of God, filled with joy, filled with life. He thrilled with it. So much so, he burst into a word of praise. Blessed, praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Now, this is something special, folks. This is the only place in the entire book of Psalms where somebody directly talks to God and says, praise be to you. Blessed be you, Lord. Every place else it's saying, come, bless the Lord with me. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. But here he's saying, God, I'm so excited about what you've done. Bless you. Praise you for giving me this, your word, your life. Deeply connected to the word of God. He says, I rejoice in following your statutes. And that phrase means a high degree of pleasure. The psalmist from time to time, even in our text, Just burst out shouting, this is wonderful. It's amazing. And I'm I'm so grateful you've given me your word. And then he says, I delight in your decrees. Now, delight and rejoice sound very similar, but the idea of delight carries with it a settled pleasure. This is the pleasure that comes just by thinking about it. It probably will not involve shouting. It probably will not involve this burst of energy. It's just when we realize, you know what? I really do love God's word. And he loved it so much. He says, I love your word the way some people love riches their coins and their stones or their stance and their bills. I, when someone goes overboard with love for things of the world, some says, my love is even greater than that because it is your word. And I believe with everything in me, within the word of God, the pages of God's word is an incredible treasury of joy and peace. In the past when I've been faced with the loss of loved ones who left this world in Christ and in the knowledge that I will still be leaving people, losing people I love. The word of God reminds me. Revelation 21. Look. Look. God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. When I remember that all those people that I love, whose love for Christ guided their lives, when they left this world, they entered into an existence without pain without sorrow, without fear. And I find joy and peace. When I'm broken with the reality of my sin and the enemy rains down guilt and shame upon me, the word of God speaks to my heart and reminds me if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all sins and, for, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9 And I find joy and hope. And the world is just crushing down on me with pandemics and hatred and brutality and hopelessness. The word of God reminds me, Isaiah 41, verse 10. so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I find joy and strength. I believe with everything in me, joy is our heritage. Joy is our birthright as children of God, citizens of the kingdom of the Lord. And that joy causes, proclaims the glory of God. Robert William Dale was a congregational clergyman in the 19th century. And he said, I love this. We do not please God more by eating bitter aloes than by eating honey. A cloudy, foggy, rainy day is not more heavenly than a day of sunshine. A funeral march is not so much like the music of angels as the song of birds on a May morning. It was not the pleasant things in the world that came from the devil and the dreary things from God. It was sin brought death into the world and all our woes. As the sin vanishes, the woe will vanish too. God himself is the ever-blessed God. He dwells in the light of joy as well as purity. And instead of becoming more like Him, as we become more miserable, and as the brightness and glory of life are extinguished, we become more like God as our blessedness becomes more complete. And the beauty of this is, as the Word grabs us and brings joy and strength and peace and hope into our lives, Our joy in God's word can lead others to wholeness, the wholeness we have found in him. They can see our joy and they can say, what's going on with you? What's the matter with you? We can tell them because we naturally tend to share that which brings us joy. And you don't have to be a great speaker to do that. Just let the joy of the Lord spill through you. Alexander Gregolia uh, immigrated to America from Soviet Georgia, learned English, earned three doctoral degrees, become a pro- successful professor at the University of Pennsylvania. But despite his accomplishments, his accolades, he was a man full of misery and he couldn't shake it. And one day he's having a, a man shine his shoes. And he notices the guy is shining shoes, which is In my mind, it's not the most incredibly fun job to ever do. But he looked, and the man was doing it with a sense of joy. He scrubbed, and he buffed, and he smiled, and he talked. And finally, Dr. Gregoglio couldn't handle it anymore. He says, what are you always so happy about? And the man looked up at him, kind of startled, and says, Jesus, he loves me. He died so God could forgive my badness. He makes me happy. And so Gregolia snaps his newspaper and ignores the man as he finishes his work. But he could not ignore what he had seen. And it kept speaking at his heart and calling him. And finally one day, Alexander Gregolia proclaimed faith in Jesus Christ. He went on to teach at the Christian College, of Wheaton, and was a great man of God. But I need to warn you, our lack of joy can have the opposite effect. When we shine the light of Jesus, joy in our lives can touch people. It can help them change. It can help them find truth and meaning. But when we are a bunch of grumpy, mean, spirited, religious, I hate to say it, Pharisees, we turn them away. This quote stings a little bit. Another figure from our history, Oliver Wendell Holmes, said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. God forbid that my sourness, God forbid that my grumpiness, God forbid my lack of joy should push anybody away from Jesus Christ. When the joy of the Lord that captures my heart acts like honey. And that joy is possible with the last result. The word of God can bring wisdom to our lives wisdom. And when you look at Psalm 119 as a whole, and our text in particular, you'll discover this psalm is an excellent display of Jewish wisdom literature. I've talked about this before. Jewish wisdom literature isn't about making you smart. It's not about making you have a high IQ. Wisdom literature is in the Bible to tell you this is the way you live the most meaningful, rich, and wonderful life. And themes that are found throughout the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job can be found in this psalm. And look at our text. In the text, the psalmist pronounced his confidence that the word of God would guide his life, a key element in wisdom literature. God will guide us to the path. He says, I'm going to seek you with my whole heart. Another element found within the, the wisdom literature. I'm going to give my entire life to follow you. He said that God's word is going to keep me from going astray from the path. Again, wisdom literature. He asked God to teach him, to give him knowledge of his word. And this is really cool. This is really neat. Because in most of the wisdom literature, when you find the stories about teaching, you find a father teaching his son, the preacher of Ecclesiastes teaching his readers. But here, the psalmist says, you teach me, God. And someone has said, the psalmist is asking, God, you be my rabbi. You teach me your truth. And as you do, he promises, I will meditate on it. I'll think about it, I'll let it run through my, my, my mind. You might even catch me somewhere mumbling the word of God out loud as I think about it. And he says, I trust you to lead me in the path. What does this have to do with you and me? Simply put, folks, the word of God prepares us for the extremely confusing world in which we live. Let's face it, there are things in this world that happen that don't make sense to us, but they also rattle us to our very cores. And this week has been full of that. The terrible cruelty which humans can inflict on other human beings through hatred in its many different forms, that's mind-numbing. It's hard to imagine that we can be so hateful. The growing anti-religious sentiment throughout this world where people are more and more saying we don't need a God to show us away, frightens us. The social change is happening so quickly in our own nation, happening at the, a blurry speed that we fear our, our national morality is crumbling right in front of our eyes. And that's the world you and I have been placed. And may I remind you, in John 17, Jesus specifically said to his father, I'm not going to ask you to take them out of this world. But keep them safe from the evil one. The word of God tells us through its pages we can find the pathway to God. Your word is a lamp from my feet, a light on my path. Psalm one nineteen one oh five, right out of this psalm. In God's word, we are promised peace in the time of anxiety. A moment like now, Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, in God's Word, we are promised something that has to do with maybe one of our greatest fears. God tells us you're never alone. Last week, I quoted for you the Great Commission. The way it ends, Matthew twenty-eight twenty says, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And just before he went to the cross on the following Friday, on Thursday night, Jesus prepared his disciples. And in the 14th chapter of John, as he's told them, I have to go away. Verse 16 through 18, he said, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate To help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We dread the idea of being alone. And Christ says, as part of my family, you never will be. I am with you always. And through a vital commitment to God's word, we can find our way through the confusion. We can find our way to God through the pages of this book we call the Bible. In affirming the will of God, Paul Little made this very brief statement that I find to be incredibly profound and meaningful. Has it ever struck you that the vast majority of the will of God for your life has already been revealed in the Bible? That is a crucial thing to grasp. Books are written, studies are done, deep ways of trying to discern the will of God have been proposed, and most of it is found in the Word of God. And the only way I know to find that is to do as the psalmist says, I'm going to diligently seek out your word. I'm going to let it become of my life. This book is going to show us the way. Because it is in the pages of scripture, we meet God. By now you have become familiar with the name Leonard Ravenhill. Absolutely love his writings, even though they convict me. He actually said once, one of these days, some simple soul will pick up the word of God, read it, and believe it. (laughs) Then the rest of us will be embarrassed. Don't you think it's about time we pick up the word? that we read it, that we choose to believe this love letter God has given us, and we ask him to order my life by your word. If we do, if we do that, we'll discover that the word of God can bring power for the time of temptation. We will understand that the word of God can bring joy, one of our greatest avenues of joy in our lives. We can know that the word of God will bring wisdom, helping us understand our way through this maze called the world. And for order for us to move forward in our walk with God, this thing of discipleship, if you want to be a disciple of the Lord, if you want to be growing in your understanding of who he is, what he wants for you, if you want to become the person you were created and redeemed to be, it's going to involve the word of God and we have to love it. So today, I'm asking you to commit yourselves to embracing the Word of God. I'm asking you to come before the Lord and ask Him, would you give me the love for your Word that the psalmist clearly had? Help me to love it more than the riches this world can offer, anything this world can offer. I'm asking you today to make a commitment with, through the strength of God. Lord, let this word become part of my life each day of my life. Today I'm asking you, as you bow your heads, close your eyes before God. I'm asking you, pray, Lord. Lord. Let your word be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Forgive me when I've neglected it. Forgive me when I've not taken heed to what it says. Forgive me when I have allowed my wants and desires to rise above your clear call for my life. God, give me a love for your word. And it may be, Lord, give me the love for your word that I had when I first met you and hungered to know you. Today, would you make that commitment? God, let me order my life by your word.